The second reading today is taken from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. Now, this is a passage that I would say speaks to every one of us because we'll have experiences in life that we question and we wonder why, and and I reckon this passage is part of the answer. So let's pray once again and ask God that he'll help us to understand. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this precious part of Scripture, teach us what we must learn, help us in the way we must think and reflect, and help us to trust that you do always love us as our Father in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure we all have many favourite Bible passages, and I have to say this is one of my favourite ones. I've got many, but this is one of my favourite ones. And it's largely because of how it's been so instrumental in my own personal walk with the Lord. It's been intensely helpful and useful, especially, and I suspect for some of us it might be this season now, especially when times and seasons are difficult. I did not expect that to happen. I could not see that coming. The clouds are dark. The storm is raging. The wind's buffeting. I mean, even this past few weeks, we were caught by surprise on myself by a few things we just could not see coming our way. And so this passage is immensely helpful. It has been for me. It's helped me in many ways. Because it it gets me, and hopefully it will get us, to, in a sense, take a step back and to observe our life 
from the perspective of God. In a sense, to look with a bird's eye view upon our lives. And what's this bird's eye view? The bird's eye view that we're told here is that our lives can be described as one long race. I mean, some of us will have a long race in life. Some of us will have a shorter race. And in this race, sometimes there'll be uphill and downhill and there'll be potholes to avoid and cracks in the ground to, to jump over. And, and if you're running around here, which I do, you've got these irresponsible dog owners who do not pick up the mess and you have to jump over that too. But our life can be described as one long marathon, a long race, not a quick sprint. Anyone can sprint, well, almost anyone. But it's one long marathon, which means it takes discipline. It takes training. And just like any race, it's not so much how we start that's important, it's in fact how we end that is important. And so we must press on, persevere. That's, this is the encouragement towards the finish line so that we don't give in and throw in the towel and call it quits. In fact, just last week, after our morning service, one of our members here said to me at the door, in response to a question I raised in the sermon, I asked, well, what would you say to your loved ones as your final words? And this member said to me, well, I would say to my family, keep on keeping on. And in a sense, that's the message of this passage. Keep on keeping on. And so life is like a race, a long, long race. But it is a race that has been marked out for us. And so what's the encouragement? Push on, persevere, endure, press forward. And notice how wonderful the encouragement is right from the very beginning. You see, this path that we're running, it's not as though this path is something we have to work out ourselves. It's not like we're treading new ground or we're going through the thick jungle and we need to chop down branches and make a way. Not at all. This path has been paved for us by those who have gone before us. And I think that's the encouraging picture we're getting here. We spent chapter 11 last week, do you remember, considering the faithful men and women of old, the Hall, hall of Fame, those who have, in a sense, finished the race in faith. And it's as though now when we get to chapter 12, they're in the stadium and we're still running our life, our race. And they're cheering us on. Come on, you can make it. You can make it. Cross the finish line. And so in a sense, that's the picture we want to see. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You see, these are witnesses who have witnessed the faithfulness of God. They're saying to us, God did not trick us. This is the right path. Just run down the path, keep on going. You're on the right track. And how do we run? Well, how do we normally run? I mean, physically. Well, you won't see me running wearing what I'm wearing now. You just, in fact, you don't want to see me running at all. It's quite a hideous sight. My kids, when they saw me run, they said, who's that old man? But when I run, what do, what do we do? What do I do? I, I put on shorts, light shorts, uh, light top. Nothing in my pockets, a hat, just to not be weighed down by anything, to be as light as possible so that Yvonne will not beat me. You know, not that I'm competitive at all. But you see the picture here? We want to get rid of all things that will cause us to trip or to stumble or to weigh us down or even to be ensnared. And so encourage it, get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. Verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
Hey, there are stuff in life that will trip us over, that will trap us. And, and we have to understand what this means. It, it's not just an idea. It's, in fact, asking us, well, reflect on your life. What are the sins in our lives that are weighing us down? It's like the big burden that Christian carries in, in uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It, because sin will weigh us down. And it's saying, get rid of it all. I mean, think about the sins in our lives. A small lie, that will grow into a bigger lie to cover up another lie, to cover another lie, until you're lying to the most important person in your life. That's a heavy burden to carry. Or greed. You want this thing, and then your neighbor's got that, you want that, and then you want more. It's, it's insatiable, and you feel empty anyway. Throw it all off, the encouragement is. Why? So that we can run the race of life. And that's the picture. Verse 1 still. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now what's interesting here is the word race in the Greek is the word agon. It's where we get the English word agony from. And so you're trying to get at least a sense of what he's trying to communicate here. This race of life, it's, it's agonizing. It's a struggle. It's not easy. It's difficult. That's why you have to push forward. That's why you have to persevere and endure. You don't have to persevere if it's easy, only when it's hard. And so sometimes around the dinner table, we see our kids having their dinner, and they're persevering through dinner. They're enduring the eggplant and mushrooms. It looks difficult. They've got sweats. They're not happy. And they're agonizing. They're persevering because it's not easy. But then when we get to dessert, there's no sign of agony at all. It's easy. And so that's the point. Life is not meant to be easy. It is agon, agonizing. And so how do we make sure then that in our life, this marathon we're all running, how do we make sure that we'll stay on the path? Well, just like in any race, running, any time, you, you look ahead. You look towards the goal. One of our elders, I remember, described it this way as he reflected on his story at one of our elders' retreat a couple of years ago. One of our older elders, he said, when he was young, a little boy, his dad said to him in a race with his other friends, just, just look ahead, look at me, I'll be at the finish line, just run. And so when it started, he ran, he just looked at his dad, his elder, and at the end, his dad just lifted him up with joy. He passed the finish line. And in a sense, that's the encouragement here. Look ahead. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Very clear there. Verse 2. Let us, which means not let me individually, but let us, which is also an encouragement. Just as I look forward to Jesus and fix my eyes on him, I'm encouraging you to do that too, and you're encouraging me to do that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, that is, he's the founder, he's the leader, and he's the perfecter of our faith. That is, he's the example of faith par excellence. Last week we looked at the faithful men and women. They're, they're meant to culminate in the faithful one, in Jesus Christ himself. And they all culminate in him. He shows us what faith looks like. You want to know what it means to believe in God, to trust in him, in all things? Or well, look to Jesus. And what happened? What else did we read? Who for the joy set before him, which means that he willingly went forward. He endured the cross. He endured it. He didn't give in didn't throw in the towel, didn't chicken out and flee. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what is that saying? Well, it's saying our eyes are to be fixed on the one who ran the race before us. We're not treading a new path. We're not making our own way. We're following him. He's gone before us. He trailblazed ahead of us. He's paved the way. We just go after him. We fix our eyes on our Lord. So that what? So that when storms come, when hardships hit, I don't give up. Because I remember, he went forward, Jesus went, he suffered, he suffered far more. In fact, he suffered for me, so I don't lose heart. And that's what we see, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Which means it will be okay. Look to him. Keep our eyes up and forward towards Jesus. Tony Reinke, he said, Keeping Christ in view at all times... All times, not just Sundays, by far, is by far the hardest and most essential part of our calling as Christians. It's simple, isn't it? How do you live the Christian life? Look to Jesus. Follow him, the path he paved. But this race, we need to remember, it's argon, it's agony. It's a struggle, which means we are to expect life to be a struggle. And so for those of us who feel like, mate, life is going so well, I've lived 30, 40 years, and it's been all smooth sailing. Well, praise the Lord for that. Receive it with thanks, but do not expect it to last. And so how are we meant to understand our race, the agonizing race, especially when we feel beaten down and overwhelmed and hurting and pressured and burning out? How are we meant to understand it? Well, again, this this passage is so helpful. Look at verse 4. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I mean, you may have lost some sleep, but you have not lost your blood, so it's okay. Press forward. In fact, we're told here, when you do suffer, we're meant to be encouraged. It's a bit like an oxymoron. Look at verses 5 and 6. Have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? Sons and daughters, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Now, when we hear the word discipline... It's easy to think, well, that's retribution, that's punishment, that's payback. It's not the way we're meant to understand it here. The, the word discipline, in the Greek, it's the, the word paideia. It's where we get the English word, you know, pediatrics, pediatrician. What's the task of such a doctor? It's the well-being of the child. And so the Lord's discipline is meant to be for our well-being as children of God. It's character formation. It's faith building. And so we read here, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. He's doing it for our good. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines who? His enemies? Those he loves. And he punishes who? His enemies? Everyone he accepts as a son. Now, I don't know about you, but that should just blow our minds, that truth. It is so glorious. I mean, it means that every time we experience hardship, and there are many of us who are in that season, difficulties, setbacks, the storms raging, the winds buffeting, we press forward, we persevere, we endure because my Father loves me so. You see, it's often described as God's tough love. You know, tough love. 
it, it's, it's love and it's tough. You know, no, no, nothing we experience in our life in God's sovereign purposes is meaningless. It's, in fact, all important, no accidents at all. I mean, you think about parents, those of us who are parents or remembering the time when you were children. Why do we discipline our children at all? I mean, for those of us who are parents, let me ask you, do you look forward to disciplining your child? Is that something you look forward to each day? After school, they're home. Yay, it's time to discipline. It's time to, you know, do something. But, but no, because it's tough. It's, it's hard. It's tough love. But short-term pain for long-term gain. We do it because we're looking forward to a better future for our child, and it's why they need this tough love now. And of course, none of the children on the receiving end, strangely enough, not mine anyway, not one, they're, they're looking forward. Yeah, it's time for discipline. None of them. None of my kids. You know, this is a great day. I'm going to get disciplined by my father. I love my father. Not at all. It's painful. It's tough. But it will yield fruits of righteousness years later. In fact, there was a time when I, I found disciplining as a father so hard, so difficult. And so there was a time I said to Yvonne, I decided on my own. I said, all right, from now on, I've decided that I want to always be the good cop, you be the bad cop, Yvonne, because I want to be the favourite parent. I want to be the one who's loved more. How, how long do you think that lasted? Not very long at all. Not only because Yvonne said, you stupid, <laughs> but why discipline? And sometimes even with tears. It's out of love. Character formation, godliness, but it's always tough. In fact, in our household, the more difficult conversations they fall on me, the bigger punishments they fall on me to bring about. In fact, if I avoid a discipline in our household, that's just being negligent and not loving. I mean, a child who's lying and it becomes a habit and that's overlooked. Or a child who disrespects his or her mother, and that's always just dismissed. What type of son or daughter am I raising? But how much more with God? Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate. Do you notice that? Illegitimate children are not true sons. I mean, this is a passage that's worth stitching into our minds, searing upon our hearts. Endure what type of hardship? All. All hardship. I mean, do you believe that? Everything, every hardship that you've ever experienced and will ever experience, endure it as hardship. I mean, wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said, God knocks on the front door, and if you don't listen, eventually he'll take out the back wall because he loves you, and he wants to turn your house into a palace. I mean, C.S. Lewis did say, he said, we are not necessarily doubtful that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Now, of course, this does not mean that when we are suffering, 
it is because of some particular sin that we've done. Those sin always have consequences. But we are to see all, all hardships, all times of suffering, of pain, of difficulties, of setbacks, all as discipline, as training, as formation by our loving Father in heaven. I mean, sometimes as a pastor, sometimes we experience things, I experience things that, that just takes me by surprise. You know, things that aren't always very nice. We, we love our church and we continue to love our church and pour our heart, but we sometimes experience things that are not very nice. We've developed quite a thick skin in ministry. That's what you have to do in ministry. But thick skin can be penetrated. You know, the needle or the dagger or the samurai sword, that will penetrate. But how do we respond, Yvonne and myself? We don't take it lightly. You know, the, the stiff upper lip. Or we dismiss it, oh, it's nothing. Well, we can't because it hurts. Nor do we turn it back on God and say, God, this is your fault. You placed me here. I'm serving you and this is what you send my way. But instead, we, we say to each other, and that's why this passage is one of my favorites. We say to each other, I wonder what lesson our loving Father is teaching us through this, through this hurt, through this hardship. I mean, God knows exactly what we need and exactly at the right moment so that we'll not give up and run the race. And, and so do you see how this passage, it gives us a bird's eye view of our life. It's a race, it's a long race. But you see, we live in a world where any sign of pain or suffering is considered bad and wrong and you should just try to avoid it at all costs. But you see how good you have it. The Christian view, the Christian worldview, shows that there is meaning in suffering. We don't need to face it with a stiff upper lip, you know, stoically. We take it on the chin, no. We can see that, yet God loves me still, even in this pain. And so we see verse 10 now. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best. That is, parents, we get it wrong. I've got it wrong. But God disciplines us for our good. He never gets it wrong that we may share in his holiness. In verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, it's training. It's the training ground, character formation. In fact, the word training, it's where we get the word gymnasium from. Life is like being in the gymnasium, being trained, being strengthened in our muscles, but our spiritual muscles. I mean, I reflect now, I'm a middle-aged man, but I reflect now on how I was disciplined as a kid. And boy, was I disciplined in different ways to today anyway. Short-term pain for long-term gain. I mean, I don't think I would be the man I am without the discipline of my father. And just to consider those in our church, many of you, particularly our older members, you see such beautiful character amongst our older members, such grace and patience. We heard from Dawn before. Such wisdom. Did it just happen? It was a lifetime of training, being in the gymnasium of God, a lifetime of God's discipline. And so God says, in your training, in the gymnasium of life, 
in your race. What I give you will be for your good. It will be good for you. You'll learn humility when you are proud and you're taken down. You'll learn to depend on me when you think you can manage life on your own. You'll learn that there are heavenly treasures when you lose everything here. You'll learn that being Christ-like is always best because sin always has consequences. You'll learn that every good gift comes from above, so don't hold it too tightly. You'll learn the beauty and the freedom and the joy of grace when you discover that you're never good enough. You'll learn to hope in the inheritance of heaven when you cry yourself to sleep and this world has nothing to offer you. You'll learn that I can even raise the dead when your loved ones go away. And you'll learn that when darkness is your closest friend, I am your father still. It's the training ground. I mean, you, you consider what happened to Job. Terrible, terrible what he experienced. Talk about suffering, he experienced it all. But it, it ended up changing him, growing him in his faith, strengthening him, and giving him a bigger picture of who God is. Billy Graham, he, he said this. He said, Without dark clouds in our lives, we would never know the joy of sunshine. We can become callous and unteachable if we do not learn from pain. And John Berridge, hymn writer, he said, A Christian never falls asleep in the fire or in the water, but grows drowsy in the sunshine. Isn't that so true? I mean, I've fallen asleep in the front yard on a beautiful day when the sun is shining. Never once have I fallen asleep while swimming. Never once. You see, the hardships of life, they refine us. They push us to persevere. They build resilience. They grow our character. They turn a lump of coal into a beautiful diamond. But it can be brutal. But yet it is worth it. Endure them as discipline from the loving Father. And so how are you running your race? We all have our race to run. Are your knees holding up? Are your arms still swinging or have they gone limp? Well, take encouragement from this, our final verses. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. And so how are you running? Some of us are much closer to the end. Some of us are towards the beginning. And every one of us, we're in between. How are you running your race? Because I suspect for some of us, this is a season of trial. It is. And it is hard. You cannot see the sky from the fog. It is gloomy. It feels overwhelming. Your emotions, they're overwhelming. You cannot contain yourself. Your head is all over the place. Your heart is restless. You can't go to sleep without a wet pillow of tears. Well, the encouragement of this passage is, Remember the perspective. You've been given the bird's eye view. The encouragement is to press on. You, you can get there. Persevere. Keep running the race. And, and that's why I found this always so helpful in my own walk. I mean, we've experienced, if I myself, seasons of trial. But God has not stopped loving us. That's what we remind ourselves. It's hard. 
It is difficult, but I look at this and God's treating me as his son. Once in a while we ask, I wonder what God has in store for us still. And sometimes Yvonne and myself, we feel a bit daunted because we don't want to face any more, too much already. But if God's to grow us, we will face more pain. We will face more pain. And so if hardship is happening, it means that God thinks we've got more growing to be had because God loves us that much. And so finish the race, run forward. And just like that picture of that elder describing how his father just lifts him up with joy at the end. Yeah, that's what God will do. And so let me ask you, do you believe this? You can understand it, but do you believe this? Jeremy Burroughs, early Puritan preacher. One drop of the sweetness of heaven is enough to take away all the sourness and bitterness of all the afflictions in this world. All. And so let me ask you, is failure, some of you have failed, at work? Was it worth it if it means your humility? Are weaknesses and inadequacies in our lives worth it if it means it drives us into deeper dependence upon God? Are setbacks and disappointments we experience worth it if it means it grows in us a patience and a waiting on God? Are hardships worth it if it means your godliness? Are health problems worth it? This is a tough one. Chronic fatigue, depression, is it worth it? If it means that you learn that God is in fact all you need. Are criticisms and harsh words that come your way, are they worth it? if it will turn you into a more gentle and compassionate person? Are heartbreaking and strained relationships, even broken relationships, are they worth it if it means you learn forgiveness? Are thorns in the flesh worth it if it means you see in your weakness God's power is made perfect and his grace is always sufficient? Or is cancer worth it? worth it if it means your salvation you see to each of those questions the answer has to be yes in God's economy and so how are you running your race because remember we do not run alone Jesus paved the path before us so we run after him Jesus suffered for me so that I suffered to be like him Jesus has gone before me so I fix my eyes on him. Because that's what we want, isn't it? All of us to finish well. And so just like what that elderly member said to me last week, keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we will be ones who will fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We pray, Lord, that we will pursue him, trusting that in all the difficulties of life, it is because you love us and treat us as sons and daughters. Help us to not only just know that, but believe it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.